So what would you do if you were given a million dollars? Isn't that a great question? Sparks all sorts of thoughts. I love that kid in the video who is like, I'd never work again. You're like, dude, you're like 11, okay? <laughs> like if, you're, if you are here, I don't, I don't know if you're here, but if you are here, I just wanna let you know there's something in this uh, country called child labor laws. And if, if someone is making you work, you come find a staff person and we will get you help, okay? But, but seriously, that question, what would you do with a million dollars? What would you do? Buy a new house, cars, travel? Uh, my answer is probably not gonna make me cool, but nothing I've ever done has. So um, this, is, this is what I imagine with that question. Uh, it, it's a scene from Beauty and the Beast. Bear with me here, okay? Um, the beast is trying to impress Belle. And so he has her cover her eyes and walks her into a dark room. And then he opens up the curtains. And when she opens up her eyes, it's this library with stacks and stacks of books and shelves, you know, multiple stories high and more books than you could ever read in your life. Like that's what I would do with a million dollars. That's what I would do. That'd be my, my extension on my house is that. Uh, actually, I'd probably do something practical, pay off the mortgage, pay for kids' college, you know, put some away to save or something like that. But when you, you hear that, the prospect of saying, if just a huge pile of money was dropped in my lap, the, the feeling that comes up is, I, I would be okay, wouldn't I? Like, that, that would solve the problems. That, I would be set from here on out. I'm going to be all right. But here's the tricky thing. My, my hunch is even if a million dollars looked like a lot at first, eventually you'd realize it doesn't go quite as far as even your imagination can go. And that at the end, there'd, there'd still be something more that you wanted. And, and if the stories of people who win the lottery are any indicator, uh, it would probably also bring some uh, negative changes into your life that you didn't expect. Uh, money's a tricky thing. It, it promises so, so much. But the question is, how well does it deliver on the promises? This is the third week in our series, Buried Treasure, which is all about how we find true riches in Christ and his kingdom, and what difference that makes practically for how we use our resources here and now. Uh, next week, we're going to wrap up this series. Pastor Jim is going to be interviewing the authors of this book called God and Money. Uh, I just read this book this week. Uh, it's really good. These guys are super sharp. Uh, they're very inspiring, very challenging. Uh, it's going to be really good. It's going to stimulate you, and you are not going to want to miss it. Uh, but this week, we are going to be focusing in on Jesus' teaching about money in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, one of the biographies of Jesus there. Uh, and as you find that passage, let me take an aside here just for a second uh, to talk about our church Bible reading program, the Bible Savvy uh, Journal and the Epic Journal program. Uh, if you are following along with that, we're so excited that so many of you are. Uh, there's a couple thousand journals uh, are being bought or used on the online app, which is uh, just so cool. Um, and we know that, that a lot of you are just getting a whole lot out of this. We, we hear people saying, you know what, this is the first time in my life I've been a daily Bible reader and it, it, it's changing things for me. Or this is the first time I've ever had a conversation with uh, my kids about what the Bible actually says because we're both reading the same thing, and this is amazing. Uh, and that's really cool. But we also know uh, that some of you, you know, you started off in the fall and you said, I'm going to do this. I picked up one of the journals, I'm going to get started, and maybe you stuck with us through like Mark, but after a month or so, you're like, well, I kind of just let it go by the wayside. Uh, and it might be because we started to run into some of the Old Testament passages that are a little bit challenging. Uh, and so we want to help with that. Uh, we want to encourage you to pick, pick things back up. And one of the things that we're doing, two things that we're doing, is uh, we are, uh, once we get to the, some of these drier portions of the Old Testament, we are actually weaving in every other day 
New Testament readings. Uh, so that way, the point isn't so that you can skip the Old Testament readings. Uh, the point is so that you have stamina to keep on going, uh, that every other day you have something that's a little bit more accessible. The other thing that we're doing uh, is uh, at least once a week, we are posting a video on social media uh, that gives some help with some of this stuff. It might be an introduction to a book that we're reading, or it might be covering a theme that we're doing, uh, or it might be uh, sometimes I'm going to be walking through coma on one of our passages that we're reading. So uh, it's not to like give you the answers for the day or something like that, but just give you an example of how I work through a passage when I'm doing the coma process. So I'd encourage you to keep reading uh, and pick that up and become a lifelong Bible reader. But back to Matthew chapter six. Uh, This chapter is a part of a speech that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. It is probably Jesus' most famous speech. Uh, It has some of the most well-known sayings he ever did, like uh, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, The Lord's Prayer that we prayed earlier today. Uh, This is early in Jesus' ministry. And, And what Jesus is doing is he is announcing that the kingdom of God has arrived. Uh, what he's doing, he's, sometimes we think of Jesus as showing up to kind of just sell tickets to heaven, but he was doing more than that. He was actually uh, setting up a sign saying, coming soon, the future location of heaven on earth. And he was inviting people into that kingdom. And in a way, because Jesus was the king, uh, wherever he went, he brought a little piece of the kingdom with him. So some of the kingdom was already showing up. And even now, if someone submits to Jesus as savior and king, We get a taste, a little, it's a real but small taste of the kingdom of God in the present, here and now. And the kingdom of God, it turns everything upside down. Or or maybe we should say it turns everything upside right. Uh, Death gives way to life. uh, And and scarcity gives way to abundance. Uh, Guilt and shame are swallowed up by forgiveness and grace. Weakness becomes strength. Conflict gives way to peace. Uh, We stop building our lives around us and we start building a life around God. And so what the Sermon on the Mount is, is is Jesus is saying, okay, what if this is true? What would it look like for a group of people to live as if the kingdom were coming and were already here in part? And and because he's asking this question, we find the things that he says are so inspiring and so challenging at the same time. Like when you hear his words, your heart is going to do two things. It's going to say, I want that. That sounds so good. And also going to say, that's impossible. I I can never do that. And I think you'll find that with what we read today. Jesus is teaching about money. So let's start reading in in chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. 
And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God is so good. It is so incredible that he speaks to us in his word. Let's thank him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is one of the many passages where Jesus talks about money. Uh, some have estimated that Jesus talks about money about 15% of the time. Uh, if we talked about money as often as he did, that would mean we do a sermon on money every six weeks. So if you feel like we talk about it too much, just be thankful Jesus isn't your pastor, okay? <laughs> Why was it such a big deal for Jesus? It's because Jesus thought money was a serious problem. Jesus was announcing the kingdom of God. And what he was doing throughout his ministry is he was taking aim at the things that he knew would hold people back, would block people's way from fully embracing that kingdom. Listen to some of the things that Jesus actually says about money. He says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He says, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and they choke out the word, making it unfruitful. In other places, Jesus tells stories about rich people in hell. He tells stories about foolish people who build barns to store up their wealth only to have them die and, and lose it all. He tells the, the Pharisees that their love of money is detestable in the sight of God. And that's not even the harshest stuff he says. He is not subtle or gentle about it at all. Like if I just walked up here and I just started saying the things that he said, you know, like, woe to you who are rich in this life, and you didn't know I was quoting Jesus, some of you would freak out. People would walk out and get angry emails all week long. So what's going on here? It's important to understand what Jesus is not saying here. He is not saying uh, that having money or being rich is a sin. Uh, Jesus doesn't think money is evil, but he does think it is dangerous, very dangerous, like tightrope across the chasm of hell, dangerous. So why would he say that? Why such harsh warnings? Uh, I think the reason he does that is found here in these verses, which are really the core of Jesus' teaching about money. And the reason he warns us about money is because money dominates us. Money dominates us. Look at verse 24. Uh, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is using the image of slavery here. He's saying money's the master, we're the servants, money barks the orders, we obey, money controls us. Now, when I read passages about the love of money, I'll just let you in on some of my thinking. What I imagine is Scrooge McDuck, you know, like diving into the pool of money and swimming around, you know, might solve a mystery, my re any, any children of the 80s, in DuckTales, woo-hoo, okay, um, 
you, you think about Scrooge, and Scrooge is this caricature of greed, right? You know, his, his whole life is revolved around making money and counting money and keeping money and hoarding money. And, and most of us, we'd say, well, you know, that, that doesn't fit the bill for me. But, you know, maybe for some people, it, it kind of does. You know, you, you're, you're very uh, direct about your goals in life. You say, I do want to be rich. Uh, I don't have a swimming pool of money, but I understand the appeal, you know? Uh, I want to be financially independent. I want to retire early. Being rich is my goal in life. And if that's you, it's probably easy to see how money shapes and dominates your behavior because it's explicit. Uh, but most of us, we don't see ourselves that way. Uh, we, and because of that, when we read a verse like this, it's easy to say, you know what, that might apply to some people, but that's not me. That's not my problem. So the verse is for somebody else. It's not for me. But even though most of us wouldn't say, you know, my goal in life is to be rich, many of us might say something like, you know, I, I just want to provide the best I can for my family. Or, or we might say, you know what, I just, I just enjoy nice things. Like, there's nothing wrong with enjoying nice things. Or we might say, I, I just don't want to have to worry, you know? Even if you're on the lower end of the economic ladder, it's, it, your life can still revolve around money. You're, you're always thinking about money. Not the money you have, but the money you don't have. Your, your, your life is dominated by bills and debt. You dream about how amazing it would be to suddenly come into a bunch of money. You don't have to have the money for it to be your master. And when we love money, it becomes the major factor in things like our career choices, how much time we put in at work, what we buy, where we live. It shapes how we relate to other people, you know, who we're going to be friends with, who we'd consider marrying, who we admire and who we judge, who we listen to for advice and who we dismiss. You know, the scariest thing about money is that it can actually make us more willing to do selfish and unethical things. Uh, researchers at the University of California, they have done repeated studies about this, and they have found that the more money someone has, the more likely they are to cheat at a game, to run a four-way stop, to cut off a pedestrian, to double park, to steal candy from a jar marked for children only. Uh, you're actually more likely to shoplift the more money you have. Uh, someone who, who makes more than $70,000 a year is 30% more likely to shoplift than someone who has less than $20,000 a year. Now, all this isn't to say that poor people are better than rich people or that all rich people are, are unethical jerks. The, the point here is to say that there is something about the acquisition of money that puts pressure on our hearts to start acting more self-centeredly. And Jesus knows this, and so he is warning us. He's saying you cannot have two masters. You, 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 you think you can serve God and you can serve money equally, but you cannot. Money wants to dominate you. And part of the way money dominates us is by clouding our vision. Look back at verse 22. There's this really kind of confusing analogy here. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your body's full of light. If they're unhealthy, they're full of darkness. And you, you read this, and you're like, what? What in the world's going on here? It's kind of random, you know? Like everything else is about money and this is just some sort of weird story I don't understand. Uh, let me explain the analogy, okay? Basically, the only part of your body that takes in light are your eyes, okay? And, and, and in a sense, all of the light, all of the, the visual data that the rest of your body uses, it comes from your eyes. And so if your eyes are bad, the rest of your body has less clarity, less perspective about what it's doing. And so the re the, what this has to do with money is that Jesus is saying, look, how you see money affects how you see everything else. It, it shapes how you see yourself. Your, your money suddenly becomes the answer to the question of, am I okay? Am I worth something? You know, are, how do I stack up? Are people judging me? It, it shapes how you see your stuff. 
You start to confuse wants and needs. You start to say things like, you know, I deserve this. I, I earn this. I, this. It's my right to have this. Money blinds us to certain things. It, it makes us so that we don't want to ask certain questions, you know, like where does this thing I'm consuming come from and uh, who's it affecting and how, what impact does this have on the poor and on the environment? We just don't want to ask the questions. Interestingly, the love of money can actually blind us to the love of money, okay? Uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in Manhattan, he points out that greed is one of the few sins that we're not always aware of when we're committing. It is not like adultery, okay? Like, uh, you know you're committing adultery. No one ever is like, ah, that's not my wife, you know? Like, you're not surprised. <laughs> and the reason is, when we're, when we're greedy, we don't always see that we're greedy because there's always someone who seems a little bit more greedy than us, you know? That you say, well, you know, I, I, can, I can buy this, but you, you see the car that guy drives? Like, the, he's way more into his wealth than me. Or, like, you see his house? Like, compared, compared to me, no, I, I don't have a problem with that. He's got a problem. The, the love of money blinds us to our own love of money. And that's part of the way it dominates us. We can't always see it happening. But let me pause here, because I want to make sure you're hearing what I'm saying right. Jesus is not saying these things about money to shame us. He's saying them to free us. He's trying to warn us. His words are harsh, but so are the labels on medicine and cleaning supplies. They, they say, danger, keep away from children, toxic. Like, like, there's a good use for these things, but there's a whole lot of ways that this could go terribly wrong if you misuse it. And so Jesus isn't saying, you know, I, I hope you feel bad about yourself. He's saying, I hope you want to be free from this. The, the, the truth is, money, the love of money, the pursuit of money destroys many lives. It, it stresses us out. It poisons our, our marriages and our families. It, it drives our addictions. It, it crowds out the things that actually really would give us life. And Jesus is just asking, are, are you tired of that? Like, like do you want to be free? Do you, are you tired of letting money dominate you? Before Jesus can set us free, though, he needs to go a layer deeper. He needs to help us understand how money dominates us. And this is what he says in verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying money dominates us because our hearts follow our money. Uh, most of the time, when people talk about this uh, verse, they usually talk about how our money follows our hearts, and that's true. Uh, so if you look at the things you spend money on, it shows you what your heart values, because you're willing to pay money for that. So you can look at your, 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 uh, your spending, your budget, and say, well, I put my money here. That's probably what I care a lot about, and it can be a diagnostic for the state of your heart. I think that's true. But I actually think what Jesus is saying, what he's emphasizing here, is the reverse. He is saying your heart follows your money. Uh, he, he, here's the thing. When we uh, draw a heart, we usually draw something that looks like this, you know, a little, little heart-shaped symbol. I actually think the way we should picture a heart is something more like this, like an arrow. Like, like you can imagine every single person with an arrow sticking out of their chest. You've got an arrow sticking out of your chest, and it points at what you love, what, what you want, what you're pursuing, uh, where you're headed in life. And, and wherever that arrow points, whatever you're, you're seeking after, your attention goes there. Your thoughts, your emotions, your actions follow that arrow wherever your heart is pointing. And what happens with money is this. Uh, when you put money someplace, the arrow of your heart goes, burn, burn, burn. wherever you put the money, that's where the arrow of your heart bounces. Your attention, your affection, your, your, your pursuit goes there for a little bit. I, I can illustrate this very simply. Okay, have you ever bought a new pair of shoes? 
okay? Like for the few days after you bought that new pair of shoes and you're wearing them around, your, your, your thoughts kind of drift towards those shoes, don't they? And your, your feelings, and you're wondering how people react to them. And you're, you're very aware of the fact that you're wearing these new shoes. You know, you put the money there, your heart goes there, okay? And, and the more you do that, the more you send your money in certain directions, and the more your heart bounces over there, the more likely it is to stay pointed that, that direction. And, and so you, you can see this. If you frequently purchase clothing, your heart is going to be invested in your clothes. If you spend a lot on home improvements, your heart is invested in your house. If you frequently donate to a political cause or you, you, you sponsor a child in another country, your, your, your mind and your heart uh, pays attention to that cause or that country or that place. And this is true even if we're not choosing where to put our money. Uh, if you've have ever had to make loan payments, uh, you know that your attention, your emotions, uh, your mood in life gets fixated on your debt. It, it rises and falls. That's the focus of your heart in some respects. Your heart follows your money. Now, here's the problem with this. If we keep putting our treasure in places that are inherently insecure, what happens to our hearts? They become insecure. So this is what Jesus says in verse 19. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Because he says, look, the the things of this world, they're vulnerable, they're temporary. And if you get invested in them, there's, there's no wonder that your heart is insecure. Uh, my wife, Michelle, was a high school teacher, and a number of years ago, she had a student who uh, worked really, really hard to save up money to buy a truck, okay? It was this uh, special edition truck, a Harley Davidson Ford F-150, and he really, really wanted this truck. Uh, and this kid didn't come from money. He, he didn't have a wealthy family, and so that meant he worked long hours after school. He scrimped, he saved so he could get a down payment and, and finally buy this truck that he really wanted. And the day after he got the truck, he came into Michelle's class and said, Mrs. Keenan, Mrs. Keenan, check it out. My truck is so awesome. Look, there it is. And showed her the truck. And he was just so proud of what he had accomplished. But then, in the days and weeks following that, Michelle would find him, like, sneaking over to the window in the classroom to peek at the truck out in the, on the parking lot. And he would start strategically parking in, 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 in places and maybe double parking so that people couldn't get close to the truck. And he'd go out between classes and he'd check just to make sure like no one dinged it or scraped it or whatever. And all of a sudden, he was getting really anxious about his truck because there was his treasure and so there was his heart. And he realized this is, this is something that I, I worked so hard for, but it could be taken away like that. And he felt the insecurity. We do that, don't we? When we give money to something, basically what we end are saying with our hearts is, I hope that this delivers something that I need. It's going to give me a little more security or a little more joy, a little more affirmation in life, something that I need. And for a while, it, it might deliver that, but it's never going to last. Like everything we buy, everything we put our money to is going to fail us, if not in this life, at least when we die. And so Jesus warns us about earthly riches, not because they're evil, but because they're insecure. And then he asks the question, he's like, what if there was another option? What if you didn't have to invest your heart in things like that, but you could have something that was guaranteed? And so in verse 20, Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus urges us to make truly long-term investments. He wants us to make truly long-term investments. 
At the end of the year, last year, we did a series on decision-making. And as part of that series, I read a bunch of books on decision-making. And whenever you're prepping for a sermon series, there's always little nuggets and things you find that you just can't fit into the series. And so what you do is you try to shove them into another sermon sometime later, okay? Here we go. Um, So what I ran into was this decision-making process uh, that I thought was pretty good. It was called the 10-10-10 method. And the way it works is this. If you're going to make a decision... You say, okay, if I chose this way, how would I feel about that decision in 10 minutes, 10 months, and 10 years? It's, it's a really wise way to go about it. You say, okay, in the short term, the medium term, and the long run, uh, how's this decision going to play out? And if you did that, you would probably make some pretty solid decisions. Uh, so I like it, but I actually think it's a little bit incomplete. I think there should be a fourth question. You should ask, how would I feel about this decision 10 millennia from now? Because that's how long you're going to be around. Longer, actually. How am I going to feel about this 10 trillion years from now? This is one of the things that the kingdom of God flips upside down or, or upside right. From the perspective of this age, the, the, the death has the final say. So the, the longest term planning you can do is like 100 years at best. But if death is undone, if the kingdom really is forever, then planning for like 70, 80, 100 years is incredibly short-sighted. And not only that, it's incredibly stupid. It's a dumb idea. And not only that, it's incredibly small. Uh, One time Jesus had a conversation with this uh, rich young man, came to talk to him, and the the man says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus was kind of going through a conversation diagnosing what was standing in the way of him following him. And it got to the end, he said, look, here's the thing that's between you and me, all of your wealth. So I want you to sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the man, he just, he couldn't do it. He was so sad. He had too much and he couldn't give it up and so he walked away. After the conversation, uh, Jesus' disciples are, are confused. They cannot make heads or tails out of this. And so Jesus explains to him what's going on. He says, look guys, anybody, anybody who gives up home or fields or family for my sake and for the sake of the kingdom will receive back a hundred times in eternal life. Now, I don't think when Jesus said that he was giving the exact exchange rate, you know, like for every dollar you give, we will deposit $100 in the bank of heaven. You know, like it's not like that. Uh, If that were the case, we would still have a a serious uh, income disparity in heaven. You know, those who only have a little to give would not have much in heaven. And it would just, it's not literal, okay? The point he is making is this. It's sort of like, you know, if you found an investment that gave you like a 20% return, a 30%, 100% return. You'd think, man, this is great news. I love that. That's awesome. So Jesus is saying, well, what if it gave a 10,000% return? It's that over the top. Like, that's the point. The point is, it is an astounding, like absurd return for what you're investing. He's trying to say, this is, this is not a sacrifice. This is a no-brainer. You just go for it. Because Jesus isn't saying you should not seek treasure on earth because you're asking for too much. He's saying you shouldn't seek treasure on earth because you're asking for too little. Why settle for less when you could have so much more? The the, the glory, the joy of heaven is really hard to communicate. It's hard for us to get our heads around. And and so the Bible uses all sorts of different imagery to try to uh, get us to figure it out. So it it says things like, you know, uh, in, in the kingdom, in heaven, gold is so common you could pave the streets with it. It says things like, you know, we're gonna build city walls out of solid pearls. 
And we're going to lay the foundations of building with, with gemstones. And we're going to sit on thrones and we're going to wear crowns and robes. And we're going to be kings and queens. And uh, we're going to inherit the whole earth. Or uh, we're going to shine like the sun. God's going to give us the morning star as a gift. And, and things like this, just over-the-top imagery. And we don't really know how much of it is literal, you know, if the gold or the, the crowns or anything is literal. But the, the point is, the Bible's trying to grab every sort of image it can to convey just how glorious, just how joyful, just how abundant the kingdom of God is going to be. What's really cool about this, though, is that all of that joy and abundance, it flows from the character of God. Like, the greatest thing about heaven is not all of the perks and the goodies. The greatest thing about heaven is that God is there. God is the source of ultimate joy. Uh, sometimes we struggle with this, though. Uh, and I think part of what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 6 is he's trying to adjust our vision of God. Uh, because when we think about the kingdom, when we think about hanging out with God, uh, let, let's just be honest. Sometimes it's like, I, you know, I, God's all right. Like, I'm not dissing God, but he feels kind of strict, kind of serious, you know, kind of stingy. And I, I don't know if that makes for a, an exciting eternity. And so part of what Jesus is doing when he talks about the birds and the flowers, that whole part, is he's trying to, to flip things for you. So he says, like, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather, but your father, heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He talks about the flowers of the field. He says, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You ever been a, a big old field of wildflowers? Just acres and acres of flowers, you know? Millions of flowers, just little yellow and purple and, and white flowers just spread out all over. Like imagine going through that field and taking a walk with God. And as you walk, God, one step you take, God goes, hey, look at that. Look at that flower. That's amazing, isn't it? You're like, yeah, God, that's a, that's a pretty cool flower. And you take another step and God goes, hey, oh, hey, look, there's another one. Another one right here. And you take another step and he's like, oh, my, me. That's awesome. And after a while, you're like, God, what? Look, look, God, I, it, the flowers are nice and all, but there's like a million of them. Like, what's the big deal about the flowers? But what God realizes that we don't is that every single one of them, every single one of them is a work of art. They're precious and beautiful and amazing, and God has filled the world with wonder. We live in an art gallery, and we don't even realize it. And when you think about it, God had made this vast, immeasurably large universe, and he filled every nook and cranny with little wonders, little fleeting things, most of which, the vast majority of which, no human being will ever see, but God alone appreciates. He just delights in every little thing that he made. And what Jesus is saying is, he's like, look, if God delights in a little flower that's here today and gone tomorrow, how much more does he delight in you? Someone who is made in his very image. That gives us great hope for the kingdom. Like it makes it exciting because to be with someone who is that joyous, that celebratory, he's not stingy or stern or serious at all. We're the ones who are like that. Being with him is going to be amazing. And not only does it change our picture of forever, it changes our picture of right here and now. Because look, the, the, the road to the kingdom is long and hard. Like, Jesus doesn't mince words about that. He talks again and again about how we're going to face hardships, persecution. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. And Jesus is not naive. Like, he's a homeless man, okay? And he's talking to a bunch of first century peasants. He's not steeped in privilege and wealth. He, he knows how hard life really can be. But he also knows who the Father is. 
And he knows that if the Father delights in every little bit of his creation, he is not going to leave you or abandon you or forsake you. Look, I know some of you guys are in desperate situations right now. You, you, you are feeling overwhelmed that things are just so hard. And, and you feel like these promises, it just, they do, you, 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 it's hard to believe that they're true. I just want to assure you, your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He hears your cries for help. He will not leave you or forsake you. You are not alone. The, the road is long. Jesus doesn't say that we're going to be wealthy in this life. But he does say, God is never going to leave you where you don't have what you need to walk faithfully with him. The next step and the kingdom is coming. Don't give up. It's not the end of the story. So here's what Jesus has said. He says, money dominates us because our hearts follow our treasure. And because of that, we should make truly long-term investments. And then he tells us how. He says, we should make our money say, let your kingdom come. We make long-term investments by saying, let your kingdom come with our money. This is what he says in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. In the rest of the book of Matthew, Jesus talks a lot about different ways that we can store up treasures in heaven. He talks about prayer and fasting without showing off. He talks about uh, how when we're persecuted, that stores up treasures in heaven. He talks about how when we welcome people into our homes who are in need, when we visit people in prison, when we do even small acts of kindness. He says, a cup of cold water offered in his name will not be forgotten. All of those things store up treasures in heaven. But here he's focusing on our use of money. So how do we make our money say, so, so to speak, pray the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it might actually be a good exercise for you. Like if you look at your, your spending, if you look at your budget and say, okay, uh, after my basic needs are met, you know, after, after my budget says, uh, uh, give us this day our daily bread, if I, all I prayed for was the other things on my budget, that was my whole prayer list in life. Would I ever be praying your kingdom come? Would I ever pray for something that looks like the kingdom? So the question you need to ask then is, what would the kingdom look like? Well, my favorite image of the kingdom is the image of a feast. Uh, it talks about this all the time. And the, the description of this feast is, has a bunch of interesting details. Uh, the feast is a wedding feast. And who are the bride and groom at the wedding? Jesus and the church. The church. This community is the bride. Uh, the Bible says that on that day, Jesus will present the church to himself as a pure, spotless, holy, beautiful bride. And, and so one of the ways that our money can say, your kingdom come, is by supporting the growth and the health of our local church. The, the very first thing on your budget, before bills or taxes or, or saving or anything, is what the Bible calls the fruits, first fruits of your income, the a tithe to your local church community. On that front, I actually have some uh, updates for you. Uh, you know, over the last couple of months of 2016, we were talking a lot about the year-end gift and how uh, we had some gaps in both our next campaign giving and our general fund giving. Uh, and there's really good news. Now that we've calculated everything that came in here at the beginning of 2017, um, what we found out is this. On the next campaign front, uh, we are trying to raise $11 million for uh, building projects and uh, international impact stuff and so on. Uh, and uh, at... At the beginning of December, we were at $10.4 million in gifts and pledges, uh, but we still had that gap there. And now at the beginning of 2017, we are at $10.8 million. We're almost there to our $11 million in terms of in gifts and pledges. So that is really, really exciting, and we want to thank you for that. 
Uh, the other update is this. In our general giving fund, uh, when we were in the month of October, we had sort of steadily creeped a bigger and bigger gap here, and we were about 10% behind our budget in October, which is a, a serious gap. Uh, but now, thanks to some very generous year-end gifts, uh, we ended 2016 in the black. So that is really, really good news. Uh, and I want to thank you, and we want to thank God for your generosity. And I want to tell you, that sort of giving, the, the contributions to church, is not just sort of like an obligatory, well, i got to you know, help things out here. It's actually a way of saying, God, let your kingdom come. Uh, let more and more of what you want in the world happen through this community as we go out into the world and serve. That's not the only thing, though, that the Bible says about this feast in the kingdom. In Matthew 8, Jesus says that at the feast, many will come from the east and from the west, and they will sit down at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is an international affair. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue are going to be there, and it's going to be amazing. And that means one of the ways that your money can say, let your kingdom come, is by giving to the global cause of Christ, supporting ministries and churches that are reaching people across different cultures. A really simple way to start doing this is to sponsor someone or go yourself on a go team to one of our ministry partners around the world to make your money say, let your kingdom come globally. Another thing that it says about the feast in the Bible is that God sends out the invitations far and wide. There's a story Jesus tells where he sends servants into the country lanes, into the fields, and it says, compel them to come into my house so that my feast will be full. So another way you can use your money to say, let your kingdom come, is by reaching out to people who don't yet know Jesus. And this doesn't just mean sort of funding evangelistic ministries or something like that. It means actually saying part of my budget is going to go to getting coffee with another person. I'm going to spend money to invite people into my home and have people over for dinner to build relationships. Uh, When my family's going out to do something fun, we're going to budget a little extra so that we can invite another family to come along and, and do something with us so that we can connect with people that we're trying to reach, that Jesus wants to reach. Another thing that is said about this feast uh, is that the guests are, are, are a unique guest list. It says, uh, the, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And I think this is one of those amazing things about the feast in the kingdom. Uh, the people who in this life don't normally get to enjoy feasts, they are the guests of honor at Jesus' feast. And, and so what we can do to say, let your kingdom come, is to use our money to build relationships and to bear burdens of people who are in need. That's seeking the kingdom. When we use our money to uh, seek justice for people who have been pushed to the side of society, that's seeking the kingdom. So the question is, when you look at your money, does it say, let your kingdom come? Now, some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, man, Clayton, you know, that, that'd be great, but you don't understand. Like, my budget is really tight. We barely have what we need. And, and, and I get the, like, tithing thing. Like, I'm committed to giving faithfully to the church. But, like, all of this other stuff, like, I, 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 it's, it's hard to do the tithe thing. Like, how am I going to do this? I totally get it. Like I said before, it is appropriate. Part of the Lord's Prayer is uh, uh, give us this day our daily bread. If you've got to meet your basic needs, you've got to meet your basic needs. But you don't want to give up the aspiration of saying, whenever I have more, I want to use it generously. Uh, One of the things that Michelle and I did when I was in school and uh, she was working and we had a really tight budget, uh, we, we were giving to our church, but we said, you know what? In addition to that, we're going to have a generosity fund. And you know how much the generosity fund? It was $20 a month. So we can put a $20 bill right here and decide somehow this month to do something nice for somebody. So we're going to take someone out to lunch or we're going to buy someone a little gift or, or do something just to exercise that generosity muscle with a little bit that we have so that when we have more, uh, we're not starting off with that. 
And, and so I would encourage you to do things like that, to practice that. Uh, the other thing I would encourage you, practically speaking, for all, for all of us, is to not let this just be something that's in your head and in your heart. You might be listening now and say, you know what, I really should do something more. I should be more generous in my life. Uh, probably if you just think that now, but you never talk to another person about it, it probably won't happen. Uh, so what I would encourage you to do, talk to a friend about your money and say, how, how could I be more generous? How could I seek the kingdom more with this? Talk to people in your community group. If you're married uh, or you have children, talk with your family about it because finances are, are, are family matter. And so if you're going to change your lifestyle and say, you know, we're going to spend less on clothes or we're going to you know, have different activities or uh, entertainment's going to look different, uh, you, you should talk to your family about how that's going to change. Uh, so here's what I want you to do. If you are here today with your spouse or your fiance, I want you to turn and look them in the eye. Go ahead and do it. And repeat after me. Let's talk about this when we get home. Good job, guys. Go do that. Life is short. Eternity is long. Money is fleeting. The kingdom is forever. Let's seek the kingdom. Uh, we're going to sing now. We're going to take our tithes and offerings, and I'm going to pray. Father, you are so good, so generous. You give us so much more than we deserve. But here's the thing, God. Compared to your gifts, you are so much more. We want you so much more than the things that you give. And so we pray that you would make our hearts say that again and again, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that that would show up even in the area of our money. God, even now as we sing, God, give us hearts that say, you are enough, Christ is enough for us. And we pray this in his name, amen.